welcome back to the to the lounge, folks. To the podcasting lounge. The, I was gonna go like jazz lounge because this jazz. is story jazz. This, yeah. Welcome, welcome <laughs> to our jazz lounge. No smoking, no vaping, just cool vibes. We truly have created basically jazz as storytelling, right? That's the idea of story jazz. Yes, we created it. No one else has done this thing that we're calling improv before. No, yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I'm Sam, uh, one of your hosts of Story Jazz. <laughs> I'm Softy. I'm your other host. Welcome. Wait, of which show though? Of, uh, oh shit, which See, show? See, this is what I'm saying. Our advertisement director told us to drop the show's name as often as possible. Wait, I'm our advertising show's director. Yeah. Oh. You don't remember this? Yes, of course I remember this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that you said you're our advertising show's director, portraying the fact that this is secretly an advertising show. Ah, uh, yes. You know. For Story Jazz, the show itself. For Story Jazz. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. It's uh, been two weeks. I'm very happy to not see or hear you today. We have something very special for you. We're we're gonna we're gonna boot up the old idea machine, which, if you've forgotten, is so that we don't have to come up with ideas. <laughs> yeah, basically. So the first time we did this, um, it turned into this epic saga that is yet to be concluded, titled Fourth Life. You might remember it. It's the VR adventure, uh, our second story arc, and that was kind of chaotic. And I'm hoping we can harness that same beautiful chaos again today. Yeah, me too. I, the beauty of Idea Machine is we don't, or we hopefully, try to break our, our patterns of large, eldritch, tentacled monsters at the end of every story. <laughs> wow, that was a self-call out. Yeah, yeah, we gotta, we gotta find some, some different type of deus ex machina. Yeah, so as a brief reminder, Idea Machine is a randomized story generating mechanism that Sam and I have created in which we're going to randomize uh, four different story categories or parts of the story and try to create a narrative out of that. So uh, Sam, you want to read us our categories real quick here? Real quick. Our categories are world, setting, plot, and character. Uh, we're just going to use these freely to sort of stitch something together. What do you want to start with, Softy? Uh, world. Let's go top down. Big, big, big. All righty. Our world is historical. Ooh, okay, okay. That's His cool. Historical. That's cool. So That's good because I know so much about history. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, so historical, we're going to sort of period piece. We're going to throw it probably in some time in the past and try to make it feel alive in that time period. What, like, what, what do you want to, what are you feeling? Like Stone Age? Uh, what can we do Stone Age? I, I was pre feeling. Pre-Stone Age? I was feeling like. Dinosaurs. Okay. <laughs> no, that's prehistoric. No, I, I like, I like, let's, let's. Okay, so we don't, we're not sold on it yet, but let's start thinking prehistoric, right? I like that. I like that. I was joking, but here we no, are. No, no, we're here. You've, you've joked it into reality. Let's hit setting. Yes. Our setting is medical. Ooh, I actually love this. Ooh, pre I love prehistoric this. Prehistoric medical. medicine. Love it. Prehistoric medicine is great. Let's, okay. Let's run with that. So, I story, want, what, what is, what is, give us the, the little line that it says underneath medicine. The story takes place in a hospital or similar medical setting. So in this case, uh, the cave that is a little cleaner than the others. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, and prehistoric doesn't necessarily need to be cave, right? They could be a there could be a a vibrant, you know, semi-agricultural society that just is before writing. You know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. You want to hit plot or character? Let's do plot. We're we're going top down here. Big little plot. Survival. Well, that's 
obvious. <laughs> the protagonist must survive in life-threatening circumstances. Okay. I mean, that's this this that maybe we don't need any more there. That that could be fine. Absolutely. I mean, in terms of plot, this will mean that the main sort of driving dramatic is question is will they survive? Will right? they survive? So it's not going to be about will they fall in love or will he finally impress his father? It's just going to be about like, yo, you got to eat, man. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You got to not die from the from the bite mark in your stomach. Um, okay. Sweet. In my mind's eye, I see a small Mesopotamian village uh, on the edge of a river. There's reeds growing everywhere. And the reeds are harvested to make uh, baskets and clothing and shoes and everything. You know, society depends on these reeds. And one day, a terrible disease racks the reeds, not the people, and kills mm -hmm. off their primary mm -hmm. source of survival, which is these these reeds that grow on the edge of the river. Wow. This is what, I, what I'm seeing in my mind, right? So so medicine, but not for the humans, right? Wow. They need to find a way to cure this disease that's killing off the plants that they rely on for survival. Are we set on Mesopotamia or can no. we be in a... We're like in two rivers land or something. I mean, it could, be, it could be in South America, right? It could be, it could be any place. I'm just thinking like big river, right? Big river. Yeah. It could actually just be big river, right? We'll just call it big river. Well, we're in big river. Okay, so the village of Big River by the river of Big River. <laughs> That's great. And the the people that live there are the river people. Um, the the Big River people. The Big River people. River people for short. Which are which are very small people actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're the small Big River people. Um, the big Big River people live on the other side of the Big River. <laughs> okay. Uh, can you give me a seed for our character? Who who are we gonna follow for this narrative? Our idea machine says, teacher. Love it. Dedicated to handing down their craft. Oh, wonderful. Might teach because they cannot do. Love us. So we got a teacher of some sort of agricultural skill, I'm thinking. Yeah, you're right. I, I, just, I just threw a huge plot at you. Now, now give me a character. Give me, give me something. Give me some meat. Um, this is Oturo. Oturo, okay. Oturo is a middle-aged, you know, teacher of the scythe. Um, okay. Middle-aged means he's like 20. Okay. 21, right? <laughs> and Oturo teaches the younglings how to cut down reeds. Cro yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. Cut, cut the reeds. Um, because cutting the reeds is all about making sure that you don't overcut because they got to grow back. Okay, great. Awesome. We don't know anything about reed cutting and usage, so we're going to make this up as we go. Um, this is the show that we do not know things, so... <laughs> In my mind, this is like, this is very beginning of professional roles in society instead of everybody being good at everything, right? So the fact that he's a teacher is uncommon. Usually most people need to be good at everything because mm -hmm. there just aren't enough people to do all the different roles. And so mm -hmm. it's unusual. Everybody else, all the other adults in the village can go out and cut reeds. And he sort of looks after all the kids. He's in charge of taking mm -hmm. care of the kids while the other adults go and cut reeds. And so... And taking care of the kids, he's teaching them all sorts of things. So he's got like a, a baby on his back and a baby on his chest, like strapped to him, and a couple <laughs> it's like other death little kids. Stranding with ba with babies. <laughs> it's like Death Stranding, basically, but more babies. It's the second in Stranding type games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but but yeah, 
So he's got, and then like three like little little like eight year olds following him around, right? So he's got all these kids with him, and he carries the babies, and the eight year olds follow him around, and he teaches them things. Let's just jump into a scene. I think. Yeah, great, awesome. I have I have no idea what what the sort of uh, actual <laughs> actual plot is going to be. Okay, here's the newest story jazz story arc: a prehistoric medical survival story about a teacher. Welcome to Oturo. The wind whispers through the reeds at the edge of Big River, a whisper that is barely heard against the constant rush of this great, endless body of water. But then that rush is interrupted by the whipping sound of steel through reeds. Not steel. What am I talking about? It's prehistoric. The whipping sound of bone through reeds? (laughs) What are their what are their scythe tools gonna be? Bone, stone? Bones, bones is fine. Bones is fine. Bones is good. Uh, it could be stone, could be uh, I depending on where it is in the world, slate. As the reeds part and break away and fall to the ground, we see an eight-year-old girl with a scythe twice her height, gazing at the destruction she's wrought upon these reeds. Do you want to voice Arturo? So I don't mind. You can just go ahead. You got a concept for the voice. I, I want to. So brief, brief, like breakaway here. I've I found that I only use like three different voices. So I want to like <laughs> make an effort to like come up with a new voice here. Hit hit me. What about this voice? How do we feel about this? <laughs> creeping me the fuck it's out. It's so creepy. Ah, uh, my name is Oturo, and I am the uh, village elder of teaching, and my job is to look after the young ones. How do you feel about that? Is that is that too weird? Is that too different? Yeah, it's weirding me out for sure. I'm actually kind of liking this voice. He's... If you, I think if you, if Oturo is just always very calm and speaks like this, it's just ASMR. I like that. His his job is to take care of children. He's got a he's got a soothing voice, and so when the younglings begin to scream, he just looks at them and he says, "Calm the child. <laughs> All will be well." And the children just stop crying. He's got. He's got a green thumb of children. He's got a children-colored thumb. He's got a children-colored thumb. All right, what does Oturo say? That was exquisite, my dear Matula. You've come far. Oturo steps up next to Matula and looks at the perfect half-moon shape that she's cut into the reeds. Matula looks up at the teacher. Now you turn for her voice. Um, uh, I'm gonna do nasal. <laughs> Does it hurt them? Uh, yes. But. <laughs> what? It does? <laughs> plants, like us, are living pieces of our world. If you were to be cut by the very scythe you hold, it would hurt you. But we depend on one another for survival. The reeds can't grow if they blot out the sun for the other reeds, and so we cut the reeds and enable them to grow anew. The pain is not bad. It is a necessary part of us culling them for our survival and then for theirs. Matula kind of zoned out in the middle of that. Just like Sam. Just like like I did. (laughs) I just said that so that I wouldn't have to respond. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, no. Um, Arturo hitches the strap on his back to adjust the, 
the sleeping child on his back and cups the sleeping child on his stomach as he stands up again from his stooped position. But I don't want to hurt the plants, says Matula. Matula, don't you eat our hippopotamus celebratory meals and our uh, alligator breakfast stew? Yeah, but but hippopotamuses and alligators, they, they'll, they'll eat us if we don't eat them. And if you imagine when one day you or your parents or your siblings perish, who will eat them but the reeds that lie beneath us? Matula looks disturbed around at the reeds. The world is a cycle, Matula. Wait, how, wait, how do they e- eat? The plants consume our bodies as we return to the they earth. They can eat us? She's freaking out now. She's like, the scythe is like trembling in her hands. She's like raising it again, thinking about cutting down more of the reeds, but conflicted. Don't fear, little Matula. Oturo puts a hand on the scythe and looks deep into the child's eyes. Never cause pain out of hatred or vengeance. You're simply a part of the worldly cycle. Come, push on. We must collect enough reeds to impress your mother when we return. And Oturo gives Matula a woven reed basket. And she takes the reeds and puts it in the reed basket. And their clothes are probably made of reeds too. And they continued through the thicket along the side of Big River. Oturo occasionally shifting back and forth on the heels of his feet, rocking the two sleeping children as he talks Matula through the technique of reaping reeds. It's not about strength, you know, Matula. It's just about follow-through. Um, how many reeds do we need to collect before we can go home? I'm hungry. We'll fill up your basket, and uh, I'm sure the gatherers will bring in more from their uh, trip. This is mostly about you learning how to cut, and I think you've been doing a great job. We just got to find your two brothers. I sent them downriver, didn't I? Or am I making a mistake? They're walking downriver, but in the thicket of reeds, it's it's hard to tell where the two boys might be. Even with Oturo's height, he can see over the reeds, but the boys themselves aren't tall enough for their heads to poke out. Um. So, so our characters are going to be Mutula, her brothers, and... Oturo and the two babies, one on the front and one on the back. One on say? the front, one on the back, right? But the babies are going to be like non-characters, right? They're just going to like cry, but otherwise sleep in little woven baskets as well. Yeah, yeah. Oturo stops. We should be able to see a swath of trampled reeds where they walked, or something, and they should have been cutting, right? Yeah, I, I guess so. Elder Oturo, um, come here for a second, and he reaches out a hand for her. She steps over a, a, a particularly thick pile of reeds and, and takes his hand. And he lifts her up just with the strength of his arms onto his shoulders, I guess. <laughs> Does that work? Yeah. Her, her feet dangling dangerously close to the baby who sleeps soundly despite this. Can you see anything? Um, I, see a, I see a circle of reeds ahead. You see reeds. Yes. <laughs> Not knocked over like a like a crop circle. <laughs> I see a UFO. <laughs> but I can't see into the circle. I just see that 
there's no reads. Yeah. Is, 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 is that okay? Is that wrong? I wasn't sure if my eyes were deceiving me, but I've never seen a pattern like this before. Strange. He sets Matula down and takes her by the hand. We should head over. Be quick and quiet, like I taught you. And definitely, with one hand, Elder Oturo clears the reeds back and forth with a scythe, splitting a thin path for them to walk towards the mysterious circle ahead. Shouldn't, shouldn't we collect these? <laughs> if we're hurting the poor planties, shouldn't, should we really just leave them lying around? In your next lesson, I'll teach you how to split the reeds without cutting them so that you may walk through without killing them. If you were to come back in two days' time, these reeds that I've pushed to the side will be standing upright again, as if nothing had ever befallen them. Oh. And as they break the clearing, they see a circle of cut reeds and two boys lying in the center. The boys are pale, motionless. Matula leans forward, but uh, Oturo's hand tightens around hers. Matula, wait. Patience. We don't know what's happened here. Boys, did you cut all this down? Matula walks over to the boys, Matula still at his hand. They're breathing very shallowly. Matula, be gentle, but awake, Artus, if you can. Matula lets go of Oturo's hand, squats down next to one of the boys, a uh, roundish, pig, pig-nosed one, <laughs> and pinches him in that pig nose, and right in the septum. She, she grabs the septum and shakes it up and down. <laughs> Matula. Matula looks up at him. What? I'm being gentle. And suddenly, Artus, did you say? Yeah, I did the name. Artus sneezes himself awake. <laughs> and sees that it's Matula, as so many times, who has uh, pulled on his nose. In my mind's eye, Artis actually never speaks and just goes, ah, uh, uh. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. He goes, ah, and smacks uh, Matula in the face. And she goes, ow! And Artus. pinches his septum again and, and, and yanks it around. <laughs> Artus, Matula, call. And the two kids look over at Oturo and sort of stand at attention and let go of each other and cross their arms. Artus. And then Artus kicks Matula in the shin. <laughs> Artus, come here. Matula, gently awaken your... All right, we need another name. Give me a name. Bellop. 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 Matula... Awaken Bellop gently, please. How am I supposed to do that? Like, like actually, like how how do I awake somebody gently? You have to be ungentle to get somebody out of their sleep, right? We don't know what's befallen your brothers here, whether they fell asleep out of their own negligence, and he glances at Artis, or whether something happened to them, and so be considerate even if you must be brusque. So Matula sort of frowns, sits down. <laughs> Zones out a little to... bit. <laughs> Matula sort of zoned out for that whole thing and, and now is sitting down. 
next to her other brother, Bellop. Uh, just a uh, narrow boy. A, a narrow, um, not skinny, narrow. <laughs> yeah, he's narrow. And he and she. He's barely. A, he's barely a boy. He's <laughs> starts sort of poking at his face in various places. And Arturo thinks, "Oh, that's good enough," and turns his attention toward Artus, the little pig-nosed boy. Artus, look at me. He, he kneels down and examines him, looking into his eyes, cupping the neck of the baby at his stomach to keep it steady. Artus, look at me. Open your eyes wide. Artus obeys. And he glances from one eye to the other. They're heavily dilated, which is strange because the sun is so bright. Have you been smoking reed, Artus? <laughs> <laughs> and Artus goes, <laughs> Artus goes, <laughs> Artus goes, insert Seth Rogen laugh here. Open your mouth, Artus. Artus obeys. And he looks in. He looks in, looks at his teeth. All four. <laughs> All right. Me. You can close, you can, Artus, you can close your mouth now. I, 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 I. What happened here? I, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I asked you. At first he seems agitated and then tired. Thank you. Um, Matula, how is, how is Bellop? Is he? And in that moment, Bellop shoots awake. Stop poking me. Oh, Oturo. Hi, we were just practicing our scything. And he looks around. Oh, we filled up two baskets for you. I don't know where they went. And the scythes are gone as well? Bellop sort of checks himself, like pats his body as though looking for his keys. <laughs> sort of emotion. Yeah. Wallet, phone, but no keys. I got my wallet and phone, but I don't know where my scythe is. <laughs> Bellop sort of pats the ground helplessly and then looks at Arturo. It must be, it must be just, uh, just out of sight. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly a swarm of cicadas starts <laughs> chirping. I swear we, we cut down this whole, well, actually we didn't cut down this much. It's all right. Do you, do you remember why, why you fell asleep? Um, there was this... And Artus cuts in going... Everybody watches Artus until he concludes, and then respectfully they continue their conversation. <laughs> well, uh, we were just cutting. Um, Artus was doing really well. I cut my fair share too. And Artus goes... Shut up. Yes, I did. Anyway, there was this weird haze. I thought it was maybe like dust from the cutting, like the reeds were shaking off dust. But then I got really woozy and I sort of bent over. And he looks 
honestly, he looks like a reed that has just been smacked aside and is about to bend over himself <laughs> again as he describes this. And he lies back, seems to lose his balance for a second, and his little sister, Matula, um, supports him. It's worth mentioning they're all roughly the same age. Yes. Yeah. It's not certain whether they're they belong to the same parents or whatever. They're from the same village. They, they're yeah, know. they function as siblings. Yeah. Something. Young Bellip. Bellip. Huh? Yeah. What is sorry, I might I must have zoned out for a second. <laughs> God damn it. What what is that? Are those reeds in your hand? And they all look down at Bellop's clenched fist around three reeds, just clenched white knuckle around them. And Bellop realizes he's been clenching this this whole time. It feels almost like he doesn't have control over it. It's completely cramped shut. And there's some some ends of reeds sticking out. And with, with a lot of mental effort, he manages to unclamp his fist and everybody gathers around to look at what he's holding. And it's a bundle of reeds, all right, but it's whitened. It looks like packed sand, like it, it could disintegrate at the lightest puff of air. Scarred and veined with little rippled incisions, as if it's ready to crumble. And Bellop carefully offers it up to Oturo. Oturo says, one moment, young Bellop, one moment. And he fishes into the pack attached beneath the baby on his back and withdraws a small reed box. He opens it. It's empty. And he extends it for Bellop to put the reeds inside. And then, ah. suddenly the baby on his back pokes its head over his shoulder. And Oturo looks up and says, I thought you were sleeping. Hello, little one. And Gah. the other baby pokes its head up from the basket on Oturo's chest. And both of their eyes are fixed on this whitened, dusty piece of reed. Bellop, place it inside, please. And Bellop is looking at the babies. Quickly now. And looking at the reed. And the front baby is now trying to just sort of scramble up and out of the basket. It's so interested in this weird reed. And it's reaching a tiny little hand out toward it. And Bellop is frozen in confusion. Arturo is like wrangling uh, the baby, uh, trying uh, to get it back into the pouch. And says, Bellop, put it in the box. And Bellop sort of gets startled by the sheer sharpness of Oturo's voice, a sharpness that he's never heard before. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I, uh, I, I zoned out again. <laughs> <laughs> um, and places the reeds in the box. And as they hit the bottom, they, they seem so fragile that already a little puff of dust is puffs up from them, but Oturo quickly shuts the little woven box. And the babies simultaneously fall back into their sleepy state, sliding into the pouches that they were once hiding. And carefully, Oturo stows away the box. Young Bella, you and your brother, let's wash your hands. Come. And deftly, with a scythe, 
He splits the reeds back and forth as they make their way out to the edge of the water. Matula goes ahead, following Oturo. Artis and Bellip exchange a glance. Maybe. <laughs> Bellip says, I know. Weird. Blah, 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 blah. And Artis heads off. Pick a card, any card. Uh, ace. Ace of, uh, ace of, ace of jacks. Ace of jacks. Now don't tell me what card it is. <laughs> is this not, your card? What is that? That is a flyer. That you, You're showing me a pamphlet right now. Uh, yes. What is this? It says, it says. Is this a podcast? <laughs> yes, it says, um. Come listen to Story Jazz, Sam and Softy's improv narrative podcast, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Story Jazz Cast, or send us email at storyjazzcast.gmail.com. Wow, it says all that on that tiny little pamphlet that is the size of a playing card? It does indeed. And they improvise this show, and even the ad breaks, and that's why they turn out so weird? <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Great. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Sam. This is Softy. We just wanted to check in with you, as we always do after half an episode, to tell you that we love you and, you know, uh, to follow us, which has already been said. It's also a reminder to stay safe out there, take care of yourselves, and, uh, Reach out if you need friendship and, and company. Uh, oh, well, actually, um, company is not legal right now, Softy. Com- company is legal. So all companies... Because of the pandemic. All companies are illegal. No, all companies um, are illegal under our new socialist regime. I only wish. Um, also, this week, we have sort of a, a special guest on our ad break. This is the first time we have a, an ad for something other than ourselves. Wow. We're, we're moving up in the world. <laughs> we're moving up in the world. Um, we've teamed up with another podcast to sort of uh, share viewership. And uh, we'd, we'd love for you to take a look at their podcast and, and hope that some new friends from them will come listen to us. The show's called Fire Breathing Kittens. It's a great actual play D&D podcast. And the episodes are long but self-contained. So definitely take a look. Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two. Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So, join us on a real play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens podcast. Fantasy, action, mystery, friendship. They're like us, you know, they're like a movie for your ears. It's it's actually a great tagline that they came up with. We might have to steal it. Don't use this as evidence against us in court, please. Everybody at Fire <laughs> I think I've already ruined it. We can't use the tagline. In any case, take a look at their podcast. And as always, everyone, we love you. We love you. We see six round huts thatched in reed just on the edge of a forest of reeds, on the edge of our one and only big river. Y'all got to understand, this river is, like, big. (laughs) It is. It's bigger than any other river around because there is no other river around. (laughs) 
Six huts doesn't seem like much of a village, but the families are close. It's communal in nature. It's elders looked after the younglings who in turn look after the elders. Raising the children, taking care of the reeds, hunting, gathering is all achieved as a community. And of course, they're in touch with other villages. Across the river is big, big river village. This is small, big river village, right? Yes, and further upstream is long, big river village and short, big river village. There's quite a few big river villages. And, you know, they trade reeds. It's not, it's not like, it doesn't make any sense because it's just like five reeds for five reeds. Well, but no, it, they it have book clubs. So they get together and read, you know. Wow. They don't have book clubs because they can't read because it's prehistoric. They trade podcasts. Um, there we go. Have you heard of read jazz? <laughs> you joke about podcasts, but a primary form of entertainment is, in fact, storytelling. People will gather around the fire at night and tell stories, tell histories, tell mythologies of how the world works. In the beginning, there was the big read. <laughs> In the beginning, the reeds and the river were one. And then the river started running away, and the reeds have been following it ever since. As we lower ourselves into the center of this village, we see that it is bustling with action. Families. You said six huts, but I'm sure that there's many people, maybe several families living in each hut. Oh, absolutely. Um, building a building a hut is is a as a time-consuming endeavors, so uh, larger huts are preferred to smaller ones, and shared they are amongst the various families. A seventh one is being built right now on the north end of the village, and a lot of people are gathered there, binding reeds and uh, slamming them into the ground and using uh, uh, clay to pack them together. Um, You know, the cross-section of reeds alligators, hippopotamus, and clay. I'm not sure about that, right? I bet there's clay. There's got to be clay sure somewhere. Clay. I watched this survival YouTuber once who used reeds and clay to build like a swimming pool. Yeah. With a, I'm just thinking about the geographical um, cross-section. And that, and that, survi- that one YouTube video is, I'm basing this entire thing off that one YouTube video. We are well-researched podcast. Read-searched. <laughs> it's just all read puns. <laughs> that, that one that one gotcha. That was the first one that gotcha. Um, As Oturo and the kids re-enter the village, they sense that there is a little more commotion going on than usual. Specifically, a group of gatherers has just returned as well from the north, and they are jogging through to the central hut, scythes strapped to their backs, Hi, Elder, Elder Oturo. What's what's going on? It seems the gatherers are returning, and their baskets look emptier than usual. He, he looks around for a second, trying to spot the kids' parents, but then decides to just not waste any time. Come with me, children. And he grabs Matula's hand again, and Artis's hand in the other, uh, and makes haste toward the central... Hut. Bellop gets caught in a stare. He's watching the other elders return from gathering one after another, empty basket after empty basket, and his hand is still clenched tight shut. There's nothing in it. 
but he still feels like he needs to be holding on to that. Those reeds, whatever they were. That is, until Artis snaps him out of it by grabbing hold of his hand and dragging them with him. In the central hut, they can hear his voice before they see him. There's nothing to be had. We gotta make the trip, it's the only way. We can't make the trip all the way to Long and Short Village in one day. Plus, it's midday now. We would, we would have to, we'd have to camp on the embankment. And uh, last time we camped on the embankment, we lost somebody. Arturo breaks into the room. This is a discussion between a gatherer and an elder. The gatherer is Aleki, a huge man with scars all over his arms. Boisterous in body as much as in mouth. And the elder is... Karumbe, the oldest person in the village, um, responsible for keeping all the histories and the ultimate say when wisdom is sought. Oh, come on. When was the last time we camped at the embankment? You, can, you, just, you just say that because you can just, you can just say anything. Because you were there 37 years ago when we weren't born yet, or whatever. Yes, I was there. And that's why I know we can't make it to the long and short villages in one day. I agree that we should go visit the other villages and see what the Reed situation is there. But not today. It's a mistake. I've seen what the Reed situation is. They're gone. They're dying. There are giant holes in the reeds where they just disintegrate. And whatever we cut down, it disintegrates. We have to go further than short and long. We have to go... We have to go talk to the stone people. Everybody in the crowd... (gasps) And Matula says, Teacher Oturo, who are the stone people? She says this into the silence, and suddenly all eyes are on her and Oturo. My dear. And Oturo takes this as an opportunity, never afraid for an audience for his lectures. And he turns to everyone. The stone people live six days' journey, and he looks up at Aleki, north of here, in the mountains, far, far from the river. They are people with skin harder than the earth, with minds dense and impenetrable. <laughs> kind of like Artis here. <laughs> and Artis goes, <laughs> and everybody applauds wildly. Artis, the greatest poet of this tribe. <laughs> but the stone people are great warriors and seemingly immortal beings surviving on the barest scraps that grow in the mountains without plant or water, when any of the four tribes has great difficulties. We always seek the wisdom and strength of the stone people, because when it comes to survival, no one excels further than the stone people. Exactly, Aleki says. They know how to build with stone. Maybe they can teach us, and then we can leave all this behind, leave behind the reeds and the The marshes. You want to leave behind the reeds, the centerpiece of our survival. Tell me, Aleki, what are you wearing on your feet? Reeds. What are you wearing around your waist? Reeds, I know, but they're dying out. They're disappearing. And it'll happen anywhere. 
the reeds have been here since before I was born, and they'll be here long after you die. If they're having problems now, they won't have problems forever. I agree with Elder Arturo that we can talk to the stone people, but we're not going to become stone people ourselves. That I refuse. So what do you want to do? Just send an ambassador? It'll take weeks until they come back with any help. Arturo holds on to artists and, and Matula's hand. And he looks at Aleki and he says, if you need an ambassador, I will go. Aleki sort of chuckles. <laughs> Arturo, sorry, but what gives you that idea? You take care of our children. You, you have no skills. As a survivalist, you, you're a knower, not a doer. And tell me, Aleki, how do you know how to do, if not for knowers? And Aleki sort of has to process that for a moment, almost like he zoned out a little bit. Oh my god, um, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Cannot. And in that moment, a fearsome noise rolls over the horizon. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that sound is just art, artist scratching his oh, back yeah. and getting a really good spot. Yeah, yeah. The sound on the horizon is... And suddenly, a wind whips through the village. The people outside building the seventh hut look up in confusion. It's not the, the time of year for a monsoon or anything, but that rumbling so far off and that cold wind and that drop of pressure feels like a storm coming on. And then the people inside the hut start whispering to each other as the wind seems to cut through the reeds and into this actually very well isolated home. It shakes them to the bone for a second and they grow goose pimples all over. The kid's hands tighten around Oturo's and he looks up uh, through the skylight in the middle of the hut. It would make sense for them to have a skylight, right? Sure. For the fire smoke to escape. Yeah. They close it up during monsoon season. And sees a cloud bunching up in the sky. It's swirling and moving almost as if it had a life, a mind of its own. And he doesn't know why, but something inside him screams danger. Come, he says, and pulls the kids to a, to a sheltered corner of the hut as everybody huddles away from the skylight in the center and just sort of hunkers down waiting for the storm to begin in the middle of dry season. And a strange silence holds the room for a second before a rushing begins. What starts out as the pitter, patter, split, splat, splitting and splatting and splitting and splatting and splitting and splatting is suddenly becoming a horrible torrential downpour beads of water the size of small melons falling from the sky. It feels as if it, it's tearing apart the ground. The elders building the, the seventh hut quickly file inside the center hut or the nearest one as the, as the water just tears apart the beginnings of their construction, wetting the reeds, wetting the clay, preventing them from beginning or continuing the construction and ruining any attempt to finish this seventh hut. But this rain feels different. It falls through the skylight in the center of the central of the central hut and puts out the fire almost immediately. 
It seems to sizzle and spit as it hits the ground. A strange scent fills the air, a scent of acid. A scent that that tickles the nose all the way down the throat. And Artis has to sneeze again. <laughs> a scent that, that rises up the sinuses and into the ears. A scent that burns. It overpowers the senses. And then all at once, the rain stops. The people of small Big River Village are huddled together in awed silence. Oturo hugging the children close. And then Aleki steps forward and looks at the wet circle on the floor where the fire went out. He touches it with his reed sandals sort of pushing around the dirt there. And is greeted with a small sizzling noise. At the noise, the babies in Oturo's baskets wake again. Or maybe they've been awake all this time. They suddenly lean forward again. The one on his back starts trying to crawl over his shoulder, gooing and gawing, staring at the circle in the center there. And and Aleki curses under his breath and stumbles backward as kicks off his sandal. The reeds that make up his footwear are turning white. Reedbach. <laughs> Oh my god. I got my new Reebok sneakers. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Sam watched there, me. That's a read pun. Sam watched me really slowly lean up to the microphone preparing to say that. He knew it was coming. No, I didn't know. I thought you were going to say something super dramatic <laughs> and amazing and contribute wow. to the story, but no. You made pun. We watch as the sandal turns white and starts to crumble and crack and powderize. It holds its form, but now it looks fragile, as if built out of sand. And um, everybody's too afraid to act, but then Oturo's so busy with the baby in front of him trying to keep it in the basket that he doesn't notice suddenly the baby that was on his back has crawled over him and into the middle of the hut. It's so fast and nobody's <laughs> acting and he's he jumps to catch up with it but then the baby reaches for the sandal and he grabs the baby. By the scruff of the collar on the back of the neck, lifts the baby up. But in his movement, he sort of crashes to the ground uh, and, his, and his shoulder sort of knocks into the sandal. And before he can even pull back, the sandal has already... Dissolved, puffed to dust, lights out, and there's nothing but some white dust floating away. It scatters away into mist. Damn it, Oturo, like he says, stepping forward. Can't even take care of the children, can you? And he kneels down to look at the little puff of dust that is that remains on the ground. Oturo wants to retort, but is more concerned with the child in front of him as he lifts it up, cupping it by the back of the neck to check, make sure that the child didn't, in fact, touch the sandal. But the child is giggling happily <laughs> as he lifts it into the air. He sighs and walks back to Matula, Artis, and Bellop, dropping the child into his pouch on his back again and tightening the straps again, because it's 
a little disconcerting perhaps to him that these children have tried to escape twice now today. The eldest elder. Um, Karumbe. Karumbe, I believe, <laughs> says, Well, maybe we can put it up to a vote. The weather has been acting strange, and some help from the stonemen certainly wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And they hesitate a bit because they're constantly interrupted by the giggling of this baby. And now both babies are giggling. <laughs> it's growing to a full-fledged laugh. No, it's growing to a throaty chuckle, to a, to a guffaw now. <laughs> the babies are guffawing like Seth Rogen. And we hear a crackling and a crinkling sound as the reeds that make up the hut slowly turn white. As Aturo sees this, he quickly and blindly reaches out, grabbing Matula by the wrist and Bella by the wrist and says, let's, let's go. Kids, follow me now. Artis. And he rushes out the door. And the kids follow him and so do the other people in the central hut. And, then, and as they rush outside, they can see that this whiteness is covering the other five and a half huts too. And other people are rushing out as well. There's, it's absolute panic, pandemonium. Everybody is gathering their things, but those things are made of reed too. The baskets they left outside, the, 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 any of the tools they left outside, all of this is whitened now. And when they touch it, it dissolves. They, they huddle together in little groups and, and can't do anything but watch helplessly. As one after another, each hut collapses under its own weight, the thatched roofs exploding into a white powdery mist and flying away into the wind as the walls topple one over the other. And the whole village, a village of not more than 50 people, stand in the center and watch everything they hold dear crumble. That's when Oturo notices that Artis isn't with them. Artis? Artis? Artis! And all this time, the babies are giggling, cackling, so happy. Their, their eyes so big, their pupils so Demonic. dilated. Like a tentacled <laughs> eldritch horror. No, no, no. That's, I didn't say that. As the white powder slowly rises into the sky and pulls away. As Oturo and the kids uh, re-enter the village, um, did, did you not hear that one? Why are you deadpan right now? Read enter. I saw. I heard. You 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 have to you have to acknowledge it on the audio level, oh. else it won't come through. <laughs> for the... Thank you. 